everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I will be kicking off our first archetype from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. We're going to be talking about green-black, which according to the very early stats on 17 lands is the winningest archetype, but that doesn't conclusively mean it's the best or anything, and I'll talk about why it might not be. Um, first, for anyone who is a limited guru or above level patron on patreon.com slash drafting archetypes, the notes are up if you want to follow along. So let's get into the archetype and also some kind of like meta stuff about 17 lands in this format and stuff. So as I mentioned, green black is currently winning more than any other archetype um, in terms of its win percentage. However, it is not winning more matches than other archetypes because it's drafted half as much as blue-red, red-black, green-white, and red-white. So I don't know if that's some amount of just like people being gun-shy about green-black because it often isn't good in other formats, or if it's that people are kind of like jumping on to early handholds and obvious synergies and green-black is quite a bit more kind of like loose and open-ended and undefined and so people don't know really how or why or when to get into it but regardless it's not being drafted as much as the other colors which might mean that cards are more available for it than they might be after the format has a chance to correct and so there's definitely the potential that this will lose its you know seat at the top of the win rates um, as players draft it more and the relevant cards for it become more contested. On the other hand, it's a, you know, deck with fewer handholds. Maybe people will learn how to draft it better and it'll win even more. Um, I, I don't think it's bad. I just think that it's worth noting that the stats don't, you know, often the winningest deck is also the most drafted. And when that's happening, you kind of know it's the best. Like everyone knows it's the best. Everyone's taking it. Everyone's winning with it. Here, it's not so much like meta-defining as it is just winning. And that means that there's still the potential that we aren't in kind of like an equilibrium state and it could drop off. As for my thoughts on individual card stats in both this archetype and Neon Dynasty as a whole, I've mentioned that when it comes to drafting cubes, I basically ignore the uh, stats for individual cards on 17 lands, really all the stats on 17 lands for cubes. And this format and this archetype in particular, I think, err in that direction. So what is that direction? That direction is basically the more the strength of cards and decks and stuff rely on synergies and combos and context and less have static raw power across any deck they're placed in, the less useful the stats are going to be because the less they're going to apply to whatever card you're taking and whatever archetype you're playing. And the strength of a card might depend more strongly on the exact cards around it in a way that's going to be difficult to parse and anticipate from the stats. So I recommend taking all the stats with a grain of salt here especially additionally because we're still very, very early in the format. So the sample sizes are small. So the stats that we have are kind of like tentative, wobbly stats that even if they weren't, I would still be discounting somewhat. So I'm not going to 
adhere as much to the stats are probably objectively true in some way. Let me figure out why that is. And more just like, oh, okay, people like this card, you know, people are doing well with, but, you know, I'm also personally doing well. So if like something has been working for me, I'm going to weigh that more strongly right now than if its stats are good. Incidentally, uh, just for context, I am currently ranked two mythic on Arena and have been for basically the entire time that Neon Dynasty has been out. Last I checked, I was winning a little more than 70% of my matches um, in ranked best of one. That's mentioned just to provide uh, context for my confidence here. Also, incidentally, as far as big picture questions about the format, people have been asking me a lot about what the strongest colors and archetypes are and stuff. And I don't know. The reason that I don't know is that I have been drafting almost exclusively green and black. So I do feel reasonably confident in my thoughts on the green and black cards. But I don't know if I would be doing better if I were drafting some other color combination or which color combinations I would be doing well with and which I wouldn't or anything like that. I don't see myself as forcing green black. It's not like I think um, it's, I'm not doing this because I just inherently believe that it's the best. My drafts just happen to have led me that way. And that might be because I'm open to it. And as I mentioned, it is being drafted half as much as four other archetypes. So there are a lot of indicators that it is just underdrafted and I'm picking up on that and capitalizing on it. That's where I'm coming from. That's kind of my big picture uh, format knowledge and background at this early stage of the format. Now getting into green-black itself and the cards and drafting it and stuff like that. Green and black doesn't have like a major you're always doing this type theme. The way that green-white is just like, I want all the enchantments. And red-blue is I want all the artifacts. Green-black is pretty flexible, open-ended. There are some significant synergies that you can push. But it's going to be just like a few specific cards that ask you to do that. And so which synergies you're going to prioritize and lean into should be informed by which cards you already have and which cards you know that you prioritize and you are expecting to see and you want to draft to support. But you basically want to figure out which things you want to prepare yourself for and opt into and which ones you don't. So like you might care about modified creatures and you might not. And if you do, you should prioritize like Jukai Preserver, the green 3-3 three, 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 three enchantment creature that puts a plus one, plus one counter on a creature when it enters the battlefield and you can channel it to put a counter on something. Like that card is going to be much better if you are trying to modify your creatures. And then if you have that, it's going to support your other modified synergies. Whereas if you aren't caring about modified creatures, you shouldn't prioritize it as highly. And there are going to be some specific uncommons and rares that are going to make you think, yeah, that's worth doing. And others where you're just like, yeah, none of my cards look at modified creatures or ask about that. So it doesn't matter to me. And then similarly, there are some cards that care about controlling both an artifact and an enchantment. And again, there aren't that many cards that care about that. but you might end up with multiple copies of some of the few that do, and you might decide that it's actually pretty important for you to like turn that on. And you do want to 
prioritize having both those. And that means that you're going to have to like go a little bit out of your way to make sure that you have good types. And you're going to prioritize the creatures that are incidentally artifacts or enchantments over the creatures that aren't. And that means specifically, I think, with green-black, going a little further out of your way to find the creatures that are artifacts. In my experience, it's a little bit more natural to have enchantments, and then I have to work to have artifacts. But that's kind of based on my other priorities. So another possible thing that you can care about or not care about is enchantments. Personally, I am very interested in caring about enchantments in green-black. You don't have to. There are ways to draft it that, you know, leans on the other synergies. You can go a little bit more aggressive and prioritize ninjas and combat tricks and removal and stuff. But for my money, I think that the best commons are commune with spirits and the sagas. And I draft both like almost every saga I can cast and commune with spirits over almost everything that isn't one of those things. I prioritize sagas uh, even the common sagas and commune with spirits, even above removal. And because I do that, it, it's easy for me to make sure that I have enchantments. But then if I end up trying to support Kami of Terrible Secrets, which is the three and a black, three, four, when it enters the battlefield, if you have an artifact and an enchantment, draw a card and gain. Some people uh, misread that as lose, but it's gain a life. If I have Kami of Terrible Secrets, which I like, then I'm going to go out of my way to try to get some artifacts in my deck. There are some good uncommon artifacts. It's nice if I have those, but I would also be, you know, totally fine playing like Undercity Scrounger, the black two, one, four artifact creature that can tap to make a treasure if a creature's died this turn, which ordinarily isn't a priority for me in green black, but I think it's good enough that if you're looking for an artifact, it's a serviceable artifact to play. So, like, I kind of like Undercity Scrounger if and only if I have Kami of Terrible Secrets or something else in that space that I care about. The reason that I'm interested in Commune and Sagas is that I think the Sagas are just really, really, really pushed in this format. The total amount of value you get is way more than just casting a creature, and the creature that you get is consistently large for the amount of mana that you spend for the creature. The cost is that you have to wait a little bit of time, but green-black traditionally, and as I draft it, doesn't really mind waiting a couple of turns to get its creature because you care more about just the total size that you end up with rather than like, you know, I'm happy to miss out on attacking with a creature for a turn or two so my opponent has a little bit more life and then I have a bigger body. There are some strategies like those that are better at kind of like burning your opponent out where you might not want to give up some attacks to get a creature that's like bigger later. But green-black is not that kind of deck. Green-black is looking to like ultimately overwhelm rather than like tempo out the opponent. And sagas are a fantastic way to do that. The black sagas, Kiba, Reckoner, Raid, and Life of... Yeah, Life of Tushiro Umezawa are both very good life buffers. So others have noted and commented on the fact that this format is very aggressive and games are over quickly and blocking's not great. It's easy to punish. And I don't really disagree with any of those claims, but if you have life gain, then you are less likely to die in the early game and more likely to live to the point where it matters that your creatures are bigger than your opponents. 
And the sagas make it kind of really easy to stay alive and turn the corner with big creatures because they're just so big and they naturally give you this nice life buffer. And then the fact that I'm really into them means that I want to have more of them than I can get. And if you have drafted several sagas, then commune with spirits will usually give you the option of choosing a saga. So it's essentially like drafting another copy of a saga, except that if you need a land, it can do that also. And if you have several commune with spirits, then it becomes very easy to splash a third color, which is a great way to get even more sagas in your deck. To me, a lot of what's going on with my approach to green is that I draft it because it's the way that I can have the most sagas. And I think sagas are just kind of like the most pushed thing in this format. So that's what I'm trying to maximize. As I mentioned, there are other ways to draft green-black. You can like definitely lean into like other stuff. You can not worry about sagas and not worry about commune. But I'm just going to acknowledge that I think it's wrong. Like I, I think that if you have the option to prioritize sagas and commune with spirits, then you should. I think commune with spirits is the best green common. And I think Tales of Master Cicero is probably the second best green common. I suspect based on what I've seen from other creators that those are both somewhat hot takes, but that's how I've been drafting green and it's been working for me and it makes sense to me and I recommend it. Acknowledging that there are other ways to draft green black and that you can care about other things. For example, you can lean more on like the Twisted Embrace geothermal Kami synergy and there's something good going on there. I have to admit, I personally have never put either one of those cards in my deck. It's not that I think that they're bad. It's that I don't prioritize them as highly as other people. Geothermal Kami looks like a card I would be happy to play, but I just happen to have not ended up with it. Twisted Embrace is a card that I recognize has a high win rate and is powerful, but is also the kind of card that I'm going to be less enthusiastic about than other people because I don't like cards with a high risk of ruin. Like even if the usual case for Twisted Embrace is that it's very good, the fact that sometimes you're going to just like play it and get wrecked by an instant speed removal spell or bounce spell that stops it from resolving and killing your opponent's creature, or the fact that sometimes, you know, you'll be losing and need to use a removal spell on your opponent's creature, but you just won't have a creature. These kinds of fail states that exist in cards are things that I personally try to just like avoid. It just feels like it's giving myself an opportunity to lose games that I wouldn't lose if I just took slightly less powerful, slightly more consistent cards. So that's what I do. If you don't feel like the default is that you're going to win, if you don't give yourself a chance to get blown out and you want to maximize your upside, then I think it makes sense to prioritize Twisted Embrace more highly than I do. I will also note that in this format, I am not prioritizing removal very highly. Uh, there are some formats where I'm extremely high on removal, such as Vow and Double Feature, and some formats where I like removal much less than other people and consider removal just like a normal card as opposed to something special. And to me, this is very much in the removal is just a card kind of space. Sometimes I find that viewers get worried about decks that don't have some set number of removal spells that they think one should be looking for. 
that's not how I approach things. I just want my cards to be good. The removal spells to me seem about as good as the other cards. I'll play them when they are the <laughs> cards at the appropriate quality for me in the packs. But I think that there are very few bombs in this format that you absolutely have to have an answer for, which is very different than Vow. And that for the most part, you want to be like proactive and you want to just be doing powerful stuff. And I would rather just know that I'm leaning into my own synergies and doing something better than my opponent and force them to answer me rather than trying to answer my opponent, especially because the removal in this format is kind of either efficient but narrow or broad but inefficient. And so that means you're either playing a card that's never really great or you're playing a card that's great in some matchups and bad in other matchups. And I would rather just avoid the mismatch by uh, having cards that contribute to a proactive game plan that my opponent will attempt and fail to react to. Again, it's, this isn't to say that I don't take or play spells that answer opponents' cards. It's just to say that I don't have this like special threshold about like, do I have enough removal spells? If not, I'm in danger. I need to start taking removal spells more highly or something. They just kind of exist in a static hierarchy for me that is below my top com commons and uncommons, and I'll take them as convenient. So I guess I'll pivot from there into my like precise list of commons and uncommons that I don't like to, to pass. So if I'm just like flipping through a pack or glancing at a pack on the screen, these are the cards that are going to jump out to me that I would pull to the front of the pack if I were drafting in paper or, you know, generally expect to see when I take them. Things that I don't like passing. Black uncommons that meet that criteria are Leech Gauntlet, the 2-2 lifelink with reconfigure four for one and a black. Life of Toshiro Umezawa, the Jite Saga for one and a black that spends a Jite counter on the first turn and second turn and then becomes a 2-3 that can tap to give you a black mana, for instance, in sorceries and lose life. Assassin's Ink, which is the uh, black, black, two instant destroyer creature or planeswalker, costs less if you control an artifact or enchantment. And Long Reach of Night, which is the three and a black saga that makes your opponent discard or sacrifice a creature and then becomes an 0-4 menace that gets extra power when it attacks based on creatures in your opponent's graveyard. That card, incidentally, I am told is bugged on Arena at the moment. It currently forces a player to discard a card if they don't have a creature and reportedly is not supposed to work that way. It is also currently the winningest common or uncommon in green-black. So unclear how much it'll suffer uh, if and when it works correctly, but um, the current as played on arena version has been very, very, very good for people. I suspect that either version will continue to be a card that I'm happy to play. I respect Gravelighter, which is the 2-2 flyer, and Nizumi Prowler, which is the 3-1 ninja that gives something lifelink and death touch, but they're not cards that really, like those cards both have good win rates, but they aren't cards that I am drawn to. Gravelighter's lack of good types just makes it, I, I'm sure it'd be fine, but it hasn't jumped out to me. And Nizumi Prowler is solid, wouldn't be unhappy about it, but it, it just doesn't speak to me the way those other uncommons do. Green uncommons that I feel similarly about. Kappa Tech Wrecker, which is the Ninja Turtle, 
one on green for a 1-3 ninja. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, it gets a death touch counter. When it damages your opponent, you can remove the death touch counter to kill an artifact or enchantment. And it has ninjutsu for one and a green. A lot of good trickiness with that card, especially if you have multiple ninjas, so that you can uh, like remove the counter and blow something up and then ninja it back to your hand, sometimes even at the end of that combat step to refresh the counter. Really, really, really strong card. Blossom Prancer, which is the five mana four, four reach that looks at four cards to grab a card. And uh, if you miss, you gain four life. Generous Visitor, which is the one, one for a green that puts a plus one, plus one counter on something whenever you cast an enchantment. Azusa's Many Journeys, which is a step below those other ones, but still quite good. One and a green Saga, uh, put an extra land into play, gain three life, and then it becomes a 3-3 three, three that untaps lands if it becomes blocked. Basically just a two mana 3-3 three, three that gains life is something I'm really interested in. And some games, the extra land drop is really big. Busager reaches Skyward. Some viewers have been concerned about that card being slow and the fact that its second chapter literally doesn't do anything. This is three and a green, first chapter, search for two forests. Second chapter, you can put a land from your graveyard on top of your library, which you, in my experience, basically never want to do. And then it becomes a reach creature with power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. A reach creature with power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control is flat out amazing in this format. Uh, reach is pretty important for green black, and it's almost always the biggest thing around. And Sky Turtle, which for these purposes, I consider a green card. I like it well enough just for the regrowth because of its ability to loop with Season of Renewal, which I'll talk about in a second. But also, if you have any access to blue mana, then it's even better. Those are my top green uncommons. My top commons, there aren't very many that are exceptional to me. The commons that I don't like passing in green and black, Commune with Spirits, Tales of Master Sushiro, Season of Renewal, Okiba Reckoner Raid, Kami of Terrible Secrets, and Uncharted Haven. So that was the Commune is look at four for a lander's enchantment. Tails is the five mana green saga that puts counters on something and then becomes a five five. Season of Renewal gets back a creature and enchantment for three mana instant. Okiba Reckoner Raid is the one black mana saga that becomes a two two menace after draining your opponent twice. Kami of Ter Terrible Secrets is the three four that draws a card and gains life if you have an artifact and enchantment. And Uncharted Haven is the land that uh, you choose a color mana and it taps to that color when you play it. Those are really the only commons that just always stand out to me in green black. Basically, that's these are the commons that I like more than Uncharted Haven. Early in a draft, I'll take Uncharted Haven over commons that aren't those, including removal or whatever, for flexibility about looping. Or not, sorry, not about looping. Flexibility about splashing. There are certainly spots where there are other commons that can pass those, and this is admittedly an extremely high rating for Season of Renewal. But again, that's because not only do I think that this is valuing Season of Renewal more highly than most players, as is obvious from its average taken at stats on 17 lands, where it usually tables, it also doesn't win all that much. And the reason that I feel confident prioritizing it more highly is that I think that I'm playing a lot more enchantments than most players. And thanks to playing more commune with spirits than other players, I am drawing my best enchantments more often and using them more is very good. The other thing that's happening here is the Sky Turtle Season of Renewal loop. I've had Sky Turtle in a lot of my drafts and I might prioritize Season of Renewal less while I don't have a Sky Turtle. So the loop here is 
that uh, Sky Turtle is an enchantment creature. Season of Renewal can return an enchantment and a creature. This means that you can return Sky Turtle with either half of Season of Renewal, which means that you get to use Season of Renewal to get Sky Turtle and any other creature or enchantment. Then you can use your Sky Turtle to get Season of Renewal. Then you can get your Sky Turtle and any other creature or enchantment. So for like six mana, you return another creature or enchantment with buyback from your graveyard. This basically beats roughly anything else anyone's doing in the format going long. Like if you have enough time to do this, your opponent's not recovering from it. In this way, playing these two cards is very similar to putting Witness the Future in a Crimson Bow deck. And what I mean by that is it requires very few slots in your deck. And most games, it has a relatively minor effect. Most of the time, you're going to use your turtle and or your season of renewal in their normal, I use it once to do whatever I'm doing mode where the card is fine. Some portion of games, the game goes very long. And the fact that you have this combo in your deck means that you just kind of like automatically win instead of not automatically winning. And as you likely know, if you're even a little bit familiar with my stream or content in general. I'm a really huge fan of these small packages that just give you inevitability. I think that the opportunity cost in the matchups where they don't matter is extremely low, and the gains in the matchup where they do matter are enormous. So I think it's a great trade-off and as a thing to prioritize. And that's why I prioritize Season of Renewal, Highly, even though I acknowledge that on average it doesn't do especially well because I feel like it lets me win games I wasn't otherwise winning or just like give a huge edge when it matters. So similarly to my discussion about Twisted Embrace and not wanting to expose myself to losing in that way, this is largely just about, I don't know, just general strategic preference that I have that is a little bit independent of raw stats win rate in a way that you can decide if you agree with or think is nonsense. And uh, there's a lot to be discussed and unpacked there in terms of how it relates to your own play style and win rates and preferences and very, very long discussion there about how it's correct for different players to draft differently that I won't go too much further into, or really, I hope that I'll stop myself now. I hope that that's solid overview of my approach to green-black while acknowledging that there are other approaches available, but also that I'm reasonably confident that I'm going to continue drafting it the way that I have been personally. For people whose natural inclination is to be more aggressive, I would not be surprised if you find success drafting green-black in a more aggressive way, but uh, this is almost certainly going to continue to be right for me. Um, that said, uh, as we move into questions, I'm happy to take questions that discuss or acknowledge the more aggressive versions if people are into it or whatever else they have questions about. So without further ado, chat, hit me with any questions you have about green-black while I'm uh, waiting for any of those to manifest. I'd like to thank my newest patrons at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, Matthew, Remy, and Carl. Thank you very much for the support. All right. First question. Does commune with spirits replace a land? So 
The answer there is a little complicated. It can. It depends on what you're planning to do with it. The more enchantments you have and the better they are, the more you're going to want to take an enchantment with it a larger portion of the time and the less you want to cut land for it. The fewer enchantments you have and the more you're like, yeah, this is here mostly for fixing and maybe it can spike an enchantment sometimes, the more likely you are to want to replace land. Also, I like to have more than one. And so if you have like three of them, you certainly don't want to cut three lands for it because it's going to be, you're going to end up just like your colored sources aren't going to work out. Even if you assume, oh, anytime I have this, I'll cast it on turn one, it'll be fine. You're going to have to either not have enough forest such that you won't be able to cast it on turn one, or you're going to, if you're playing green black, not have enough swamps that you'll reliably find one when you cast it. Commune into commune is a lot worse than commune into the swamp you're looking for. The existence of communes should decrease the number of lands you're playing to some amount at some point, but you do have to be careful because you can't cut that many. So there are definitely diminishing returns on communes, except that the more you have, the more you should be able to prioritize enchantments and the more you can make them better that way. But if you assume that you're, you know, taking every good enchantment either way and the number of enchantments you have is static, uh, additional communes have diminishing returns. There will be spots where I say, all right, three is enough communes. I will have to take lands with these some portion of the time. I don't want to flood out. I don't want to cut too many lands. I'm going to take something else that, you know, maybe like another mediocre enchantment that can be a hit for communes or something. That said, as far as like, well, should you cut your first land for your first commune? Well, it depends. Where are you on the spectrum of I wanted to play 16 to 17 to 18 lands? Um, it's a fraction and your deck is going to be, you know, it's going to depend. Just think about like, you know, how often you want to take a land, how often you want to be a little mana light, all that. But uh, yes, they do count as a fraction of a land in some capacity. Next up, are the signpost cards I talked about only available through the Patreon? All of the lists that I stated are in the notes on Patreon, but I also did literally state all of the cards that I'm interested in. So everything that's available on Patreon is available by listening to the podcast. Next up, if I get the Kami War, would it be base green black? I would certainly expect to be base green for fixing, but I wouldn't anticipate being black anything any more than anything else. I, I mean, I guess I would be more likely to be black than like red because more of the red cards are aggressive. And if I'm trying to support the Kami War, I'm probably trying to play a longer game. And I really like the life gain available from the sagas and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm certainly not like, oh, I have the Kami War. Now I'm going to like take this black card highly because I think that I'm going to be green black specifically. When would you splash in green black and what colors do you splash the most? I have been splashing blue most followed by white, and I have not splashed red yet. I don't think there are very many red cards that you want to splash. There are a lot of blue cards that are good to splash, and Sky Turtle by itself is a huge draw to splash blue. And then white is particularly easy to splash because of the 4-4 Samurai that can plane cycle, or sorry, channel to search for planes and gain two life. I think it will be pretty rare that I splash red in a green-black deck, and then the answer is like usually blue. If I have a sky turtle, 
white if like there was a samurai and some random white cards that I wanted to pick up and I take samurai over cards that aren't very exciting because it opens doors. Are there colorless cards that I would prioritize for the deck? The helper bot that draws cards seems okay in most decks. Yeah, I would prioritize the terrarium very highly if I'm expecting to play three color and or care about getting the artifact for secrets. And I would prioritize both the four mana uncommon two one that puts a counter on something and draws cards because it's good and the three mana uh, two three that gains two life and draws a card when it leaves play. I think both of those cards are awesome. I also didn't mention the green black menace gold card that is another card that I'm you know certainly not looking to pass. Those two uncommon creatures are the uh, colorless uncommons that stand out most to me. Like, obviously Kunai is, you know, okay removal. I'll prioritize it somewhat if I'm looking for more artifacts, but I'm, otherwise I don't care that much about it. Next up, I'm assuming Fade into Antiquity is a happy-to-play card, but I mentioned an aversion to situational cards, so are you totally off the ones that kill one of those types? I am happy to play Fade into Antiquity, and I'm happy to play the white four mana thing that kills an enchantment or big creature. I have not wanted to main deck a card that can only kill an enchantment or only kill an artifact, though I'm not sure about whether or not you're supposed to main deck the shadow that gives a plus one plus one counter if you're red, don't have experience with it. How many seasons of renewal are you comfortable playing? Somewhat depends on like how good I am at enabling them, like how many enchantments I have that I think are likely to go to the graveyard and like whether I'm doing any self-milling, of which there isn't very much, but there is some. I would say usually I only want one or two. What do I think of Gloom Shrieker, in particular the synergy with Geothermal Kami? I think Gloom Shrieker, which I believe is the 3-1 green-black menace creature, I think it is great. I have not had the synergy with Geothermal Kami, but I also think that's great. I have had the synergy with ninjas, and that has been great. On a related note, the Mana War Ninja is one of the blue cards that I am most likely to splash, and that thing works really well with Gloom Shrieker. If you can't get an attack in, you can just straight up bounce it uh, by casting it, and then because it has menace, often you can like ninja in the Mana War, bounce something else, and the Gloom Shrieker. Yeah, Gloom Shrieker is very good. Uh, it was an oversight not including it in my list, and that was just because I went single color at a time. How do you feel about vehicles in green-black, and how should players evaluate them? I think Brute Suit is the like common or uncommon vehicle that offers the best rate generally. I think that it's good if you are looking to have artifacts in your deck, mostly because that means you're probably also looking to have Virus Beetle in your deck. And then Brute Suit is a good way to use your Virus Beetle pro uh, productively. I don't think that I've played a Brute Suit in green-black, but I'm not opposed to it if I have, you know, a good number of small creatures and I'm looking for artifacts. Next up, green-black has relevant ninjas. Does the existence of ninjutsu disincentivize bluff attacking so that uh, it should never happen only buff attack when you actually have the combat trick you should correctly evaluate what your opponent is going to do based on uh their risks and the information that they have so you should know that they're going to account for the risk of a ninja when deciding if they're going to block and play appropriately i will say that green black 
is not in general an archetype that's especially interested in bluff attacking based on what I was saying about it not really having reach and more interested in kind of like overwhelming the opponent than trying to push a damage or two. Next up, how do you mitigate the tempo loss from the sagas like Besiege reaches Skyward? You make plays such that not affecting the board immediately doesn't kill you. You prioritize uh, Reckoner Raid and Life of Umizawa so that you gain life and have like good blockers on turn three or four. You play cards like Bamboo Grove Archer, which don't attack but block very well and contribute to your enchantment counts. And you don't care that it doesn't attack because you're favored long because you have these giant green creatures that you're getting from your sagas. Basically just like dr draft such that your early game keeps you alive rather than worrying about whether or not your early game pressures your opponent and then trust the sagas to turn the corner very easily on their own. How useful are non-turtle ninjas for rebuy sagas and creatures with ETBs? Are those creatures uh, going unblocked often enough in green-black to make the ninjas worthwhile? So I do, in general, like the idea of attacking with a Reckoner Raid. It gets through because it has menace. And then you pick it up with some ninja and you hit them for some extra damage. And then you get to drain them more with your Reckoner Raid. Like, that's all pretty nice. But most of the ninjas just don't seem that good to me. Certainly, like, the rare 3-3 ninja with menace that makes your opponent, that, like, coercions your opponent, that card is amazing and plays really, really, really well with sagas. But I don't want to play a weak card ninja to like live this dream. Like for example, the 3-2 lifelink ninja has just heinous stats because the body is just so bad. And so I don't want to like kind of go down a card to rebuy my saga just because it means that like, oh, if your saga was answered or you didn't draw it or whatever and you drew this other card, like it, it just creates the potential to kind of like draw your cards in the wrong order or draw the wrong combination of cards and lose when you don't need to. So I prefer to only play the ninjas that are good and then to, you know, in the games, try to set up those good saga rebuys with them. How do I like ramp cards like Careful Cultivation, Orochi, or Grafted Growth? I will also add uh, Greater Tanuki. They're fine. As I mentioned in the answer about Besieger Reaches Skyward, I want to spend my early turns kind of like playing defensive creatures to make sure that I don't get run over and then can play my like sagas and then win with the sagas. And the sagas are more big than they are mana intensive, so you don't really need to ramp to cast them. So... Careful cultivation is like, yeah, this is fine. Like ramping ramping is a useful thing to do on turn two and it puts an enchantment in my graveyard and that's nice for season of renewal, but it's nothing special. So I, I think the, the ramp stuff is just like mediocre playables. Like I'll play them sometimes if I need to because I'm playing an extra color and they help with that or if they're just like the right card for my curve, but they aren't a draw. Do I like Searchlight Companion or Giant Energy Blade? Hate Giant Energy Blade. Card just seems really, really slow and bad to me. Searchlight Companion's like serviceable if you need artifacts. It's best if you have like some ninjas and uh, maybe like 
Dockside Chef, which incidentally is fine, not amazing. I, I would consider Searchlight Companion a like not embarrassing to play card, but not something that I'm actively happy to have in a deck. Next question, what do you think is the worst matchup for Green Black? That's just, matchups in Limited are always hard and it really is gonna depend on the exact configuration of the Green Black deck. Next up, am I a fan of Harmonious Emergence in this archetype? That's the enchant land that makes the land a 3-4, uh, or a 4-3, or a 4-5 rather. I'm not. It has good stats, 4-5 Vigilance, yeah. And I don't plan on trying it out despite that. I, I've been not playing it. I intend to continue not playing it while acknowledging that it has good stats. This is another kind of like the Twisted Embrace but worse situation where the Risk of Ruin is just not doing it for me. Uh, like for the most part, it's, you know, champion a land, get a creature. But, you know, every now and then you get your land like hit with like bounce spell or exile spell or negative aura that makes it worse than that. I don't know. It's just like a particularly fragile creature that you can't really count on. Uh, it's like not enough above rate for me. Um, I, I'm never really into the like animate land cards at the rate they've been printing them. Next up, how often slash when is it right to cast Favor of the Jukai rather than hold it up to eat a creature? I appreciate the reminder to discuss strategy when playing the deck. I have been meaning to think about how to do that. I don't have a great answer for you. I guess you want to cast it when you're, you are more likely to want to cast it when you're using it aggressively and maybe channel it when you're using it defensively. And that's because you get immediate impact out of it when you're using it aggressively and you can know that you're going to get a good hit in and then force your opponent to have an answer to it. Whereas if you're using it defensively, if you're like, my plan is to like suit up a creature and then block with it, you're just asking to get blown out in one way or another. Whereas it's more likely that you can be the one getting them if you are using it as a trick there. Although defensively using tricks is also a risky proposition. The first question is, you know, are you planning to attack or block with it? If you're planning to like be aggressive with it, then you would want to use it. Then you'd want to cast it. But then it's also a question of, you know, your mana and how many creatures are you planning to attack with? If you're attacking with a single creature and casting that gives you good attacks with that creature, go for it. If you have to decide between, well, I could cast this on one creature and attack with that creature, or I could attack with three creatures and then use this on the thing that they block. It's a very different scenario. So that's the other part of the equation is just like, which pushes damage better, the enchantment or the combat trick? Next up, how good are combat tricks in green-black? Is it worth splashing red if the splash is easy for the red commons that can give trample to your big creatures? In general, I would suggest that splashing to try to get trample in green-black is a ridiculous thing to do because you don't really care about killing your opponent with your big creatures by giving them trample because you can usually just kill them the following turn. However, the card in question is a 6-mana uh, 5-4 haste trample, which is a reasonable card to splash. I do still think that red is the least likely color that you'll want to splash, but if I were splashing red, that would not be an unreasonable card to splash, though the fact that it, I have large creatures that it can give trample would be a pretty small part of the equation. As to the question about how good are combat tricks in green-black, thank you, that was a thing that's in my notes that I forgot to mention. I wanted to discuss Tamiyo's Safekeeping. Tamiyo's Safekeeping is a card 
that is played very rarely on 17 lands. It still, I believe, currently doesn't have enough stat, like doesn't have enough instances of people playing with it to have stats in green-black, but it does have enough to have stats in green collectively, and it is among the top five green commons in terms of its win rate when people actually play it. And I believe that green-black is a deck that does actively want to play Tamiya's Safekeeping. I think that you usually want probably just one of them in your deck, but I think I would honestly rather have two than zero. I think that this is a card that is very underrated and actively good, especially if you are doing the, like drafting it the way that I am, where like your game plan is, and then I flip my giant saga. And at that point, your opponent has to try to answer your giant saga or it kills them. And if you have safekeeping, that's huge. This is particularly good in spots where your opponent is trying to use creature removal on it. And here, the fact that if you tap out to play your saga, your opponent can't use a creature removal spell on it. And then when you untap, then when it becomes a creature, you do have your mana up, and so you can use your safekeeping. Also, the life gain is huge. So I think safekeeping is actually very good. I also think that there's a lot of potential with the lifelink black trick that gives you your creature back, another one that's really good to use on sagas because it means that you get to go through the saga again. I think that the combat tricks are very reasonable. However, my bar to play cards that don't have good types, that are not artifacts or enchantments, is sometimes high based on the uh, number of cards that I have that are specifically looking for those, and it can be hard for combat tricks to like fight for space. But I do think that the combat tricks are remarkably close to the removal spells in actual power level. So if you don't spend high picks on removal spells and you're looking for some like interactive spells uh, that are not permanents, uh, I think the combat tricks are a good way to go. Next up, would you splash Imperial Oath in black-green if you lack sagas? Imperial Oath is a very splashable card. I'm usually you know, looking for the white samurai to be able to splash it. And I, I think it's, you know, a good card to play if it's easy for you to play. And then if you specifically, if you lack sagas, that would be a great spot to identify. I need some late game power. This is a good way to get it. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with going that route if that's where you are. Next up, what is your general stance on splashing when planning to play a longer game? The longer you expect your games to be, the more you should splash. And this and the amount that it matters is high. The best fixing is card draw. The best card draw is the draw step. The more draw steps you plan to have, the more likely it is you can cast your splashed spells. Every deck that is planning to play longer games is much more interesting than much more interested in splashing the decks that play shorter games. How do I value the dual lands? If I know that they are in my colors, I value them above anything that's not what I consider a premium common, which is to say roughly the list of commons that I got excited about or other things that I specifically need for my deck for some contextual reason. Ah, the question was about Historian's Wisdom and why it has a good win rate. Um, so this is interesting in that uh, Historian's Wisdom is basically a bad the vow card that gives plus one plus three and draws a card that said the context makes it a lot better in this format because of modified creatures and enchantment synergies so it's not terribly surprising to me that this card performs better than that card however i would not expect it to perform as well as it has i don't have any further answers on why it has performed well outside of 
it makes sense that it's an amount better, and the stats currently suggest that it is that amount better. Next question, how willing am I to play Invoke the Ancients and Invoke Despair? These are the rares that cost four colored mana symbols. The answer is I am very willing. I think both cards are great and I've played both in the same deck. How often will I play off-color duels? Never. Like if, it, if one of the colors is literally not a color that I can use in my deck, I'm not interested in playing a tap land to gain a life. Note that when putting multiple invokes in a deck or even an invoke in the deck, you do really want to have a plan for how your mana is going to work and prioritize fixing appreciably highly. But this format is good at letting you get away with some ambitious mana bases. I have seen a deck that I thought was very good at casting both Invoke the Ancients and the Kami War, which are not generally cards that should work very well together. Next question, what are the reasons to go into green-black over green-white primary if our plan is to play lots of sagas in this archetype? Uh, the black sagas are really good. Sometimes you see the black ones instead of the white ones. Next up, how do you feel about playing Dockside Chef in black-green? I often feel like I don't have enough things I want to sack, especially when enchantment heavy. Yep, I agree. It's uh, I, I mentioned it's nothing special. It's a like filler playable in green-black. Oh, one other card that I want to mention, Roadside Reliquary, I think is the name of the colorless land that you can uh, sack to draw two cards if you have an artifact and enchantment, one if you have either. If you're trying to do the artifact and enchantment thing, or if you just have like at least six artifacts and enchantments, that card's great. I would prioritize it pretty highly. Uh, the opportunity cost is pretty low, and drawing two cards uh, in the late game instead of doing nothing can be game-winning. Are there any colorless cards that work especially well in green-black compared to other decks? I do think that the 2-3 uh, gain two life and draw a card when it leaves the battlefield is both awesome in everything and to some extent particularly good in green-black, where you care about the artifact for your artifact matters stuff. You are like looking, not trying to end the game super fast. So the fact that it's a little bit more like its power is generally defensively positioned rather than aggressively positioned works to your advantage and you have some amount of ability to recur it with ninjas and graveyard recursion and get its value multiple times. So that, that would be the main one that stands out to me as a particular draw to green-black circuit mender among artifacts. Roadside Reliquary, I guess, is another colorless card that's particularly good in green-black. And Twashi Guide Bot, I would maybe also put here for... Very much the same reason, well, a subset of the reasons that Circuit Mender is good. Specifically, the fact that you're kind of already positioning yourself defensively and trying to play a longer game. You are already in uh, Tawashi Guidebot's wheelhouse. That's the creature that can tap four mana minus one for each uh, modified creature you control to draw a card. This is, you know, if you have established the stable board that you're looking to in green-black, a way to pull ahead. Next question is a little off, off topic. I've been having success with Black X Aggro. How is Aggro working for me? I don't have an answer to that question because I haven't been drafting it. I, I draft proactive midrange where I prioritize playing cards that are like good both ways rather than something that I would really call Aggro. I think the format in general is somewhat misdiagnosed or mischaracterized as aggressive where I think that it is proactive. And that is to say that I don't feel like lower curves are especially advantaged. 
I feel more like you just need to, you want to have a proactive game plan. Does the looting manolith make the cut as a cutlass card? I am totally satisfied playing it when I'm looking for a three mana ramp effect. Uh, I think the looting part is pretty relevant. I am much more likely to play it if I will reliably have artifacts that I can uh, use to actually get to loot with it. What might be the best way to get a step ahead of the meta and begin counter uh, begin to counter the early success of green, black, blue now that people are starting to catch on? Don't. While it's been winning a lot, we don't have evidence that it's being drafted much, so you shouldn't be trying to beat it because most of your opponents won't be playing it. Wait until, like it's actually time to stop like you don't want to be ahead you want to be in the right place and it looks like currently like at this exact moment the right place is just in green black that could certainly shift over time but right now that's not the way next up can i show examples of my decks every limited match that i play is streamed so you can find examples on the vods of my twitch channel which is uh, for anyone listening to this later, twitch.tv slash Samuel H. Black. This is recorded as an audio podcast, so showing examples isn't a thing that I can do as part of the podcast, but there will be a number of examples on YouTube over time and available in my Twitch VODs. Also, patrons of patreon.com slash drafting archetypes do have access to my 17 lands data, and you can just click through my decks and uh, see all of them there. Next up, have I played with Unforgiving One in Green Black? Seems like it shines here. I haven't played with it. Uh, I mentioned that modified creatures are a thing that you can care about. Unforgiving One and Lethal Exploit are the two main things that are going to pull you in that direction. Yeah, I don't know. It, it it performs, like, its stats are better than my personal estimation of how good I expect it to be in general. So uh, it's it's definitely a strong card rather than a weak card, and I don't have enough personal experience to know precisely how strong. Can I talk a bit about Okiba Raid Reckoner? Or Reckoner Raid? Vampire Spawn was amazing. This is a better Vampire Spawn. For all the reasons that Vampire Spawn was good, if you're familiar with any of that, this is the same situation, but it's, like, more un undercosted. Also, um, there's a question about whether another way to find examples of my decks is Twitter pictures of trophy decks. I sometimes, but rarely, tweet decks, but I do post pictures of my decks that trophy to my Discord, which is publicly accessible and free to join. I'm going to wrap it up there. Thanks for tuning in. Really happy to be getting into covering Neon Dynasty and drafting Neon Dynasty. I, I've really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to solve other archetypes uh, as soon as I stop getting forced into green black in my own drafts. Thanks for listening and I will be back. I'm not going to say next week because uh, the actual truth of the matter is in just a few days. My next podcast will be recorded uh, Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash Samuel H. Black. So for anyone who likes uh, to watch this live on Twitch, I hope to see you there. Thanks and bye for now, everyone. Me.